I want to talk just a moment this morning before we read the scripture, before I have you stand. Uh, the Lord just has just really been dealing with me uh, this week and has really been speaking to me uh, through this passage of scripture. Uh, some things that I've never really thought of before, never really uh, pulled out before. And uh, I, it's blessed me and it's helped me this week. And I pray that it, that it will bless you. Because how many knows it's often sometimes during the most trying times in our life and those times when it seems like nothing around us is making sense anybody ever been there and our it's at that time that our faith our true faith meets our deepest challenge and that's when every single one of us must decide will will I continue to believe will I continue to hold on to my faith uh, in spite of what I'm going through or will I take things into my own hands in an attempt to secure my own well-being? Will I try to take things into my hands and will I try to fix it myself? The scripture reminds us of the heartache that often results in our lives when we decide to take things into our own hands. As I was looking through the word this week, I thought about, for example, of when Abraham attempted to protect his own life by telling a foreign king that his wife Sarah was his sister. You can read that in Genesis chapter 20. But as a result of that, Sarah was taken into the king's harem. And Abraham was left standing powerlessly outside the gate, just wringing his hands in regret over the terrible mistake that he had made that caused his wife uh, to be really trafficked, if you will. That's what really happened to her. As I read through the scripture, I also thought about consider Saul, who was also so focused on his own preservation and he chose to disobey God's word for fear of the people he didn't want to obey God's word because he feared the people and then as a result the kingdom was taken from him and then at the end of his life he ended up think about this a man who used to consult the Lord at the end of his life ended up consulting with a witch and ultimately committing suicide and taking his own life and I believe this morning that you and I must be very, very careful not to fall into human reasoning in order to try to preserve ourselves because that is what gets us into trouble and that is what will render us powerless against the schemes and the attacks of the enemy every single time. I want us to look this morning, if you'll stand with me all over the house, at another example in Scripture in the life of David. 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 35 through 38, we're reading from the Christian Standard Bible Translation. The Word said, In the morning, Jonathan went out to the countryside for the appointed meeting with David. A young servant was with him. He said to the servant, Run and find the arrows I'm shooting. As the servant ran, Jonathan shot an arrow beyond him. He came to the location of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, but Jonathan called to him and said, The arrow is beyond you, isn't it? Then Jonathan called to him, Hurry up and don't stop. Jonathan's servant picked up the arrow and returned to his master. I want to preach to you this morning for a few moments a message I have simply titled, When it's beyond you. When it's beyond you. If you will. Bow your heads and pray with me and for me this morning. Father, oh, how we love you. Oh, how we thank you this morning. 
God, I feel like today in both of these services, there will be people that will be seated in our midst that are facing things in their life that are beyond them. And God, I pray today more than anything that you would just show me grace and mercy and move me out of the way that I don't speak anything that's not your words. God, that you would just guard my lips, that everything I would speak today would not be anything uh, that's made up of my wisdom, but God, that it would be your words today, that it would come forth not in with enticing words or man-pleasing words, but God, I do want it to come forth in love, but I also want it to come forth in the demonstration of your spirit and in the power of your word. God, I pray today that we would see through your word that when things in this life, when circumstances in this life are beyond us, that God, you still have a plan. You still have a direction. You still have a leading and there is a guiding that we can follow in this life if we just but trust you. God, I thank you today with everything in me. I ask you to anoint this word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. If you will, you may be seated this morning. When it's beyond you. I want you to consider for a moment David's journey leading up to this difficult point in his life. If you've not read much about the story of David, I want to give you some background this morning. It must have seemed an ordinary day as David was tending to his father's sheep out in the field. All of a sudden, he was called inside to meet with the prophet Samuel. And Samuel took a vial of oil and he anointed David to be the next king. That's what the Bible said. And before David took the throne, David began to win some marvelous victories in his life, but those victories mostly were won in secret. And he followed an incredible victory in public after uh, when he went against the giant we all know as Goliath. And David's heart at that time, after he had all of these private victories, and then he had this huge public victory. See, David, everybody else looked at Goliath, and they saw a situation or a giant that was too big. Too big to overcome. But David looked at the situation, and he saw a target that was too big to miss. And so after this public victory in David's life... uh, David must have burned, it must have burned within him as he walked with an anointing that was on his life that produced such faith and such boldness in his life. And shortly after this, Saul took David in to be his attendant, and David began to worship the Lord with songs that drove the darkness out of Saul's life. Can I tell you this morning that I am so thankful for the worship that we are blessed to have here. Because anointed worship will drive the darkness out of our lives. Amen? And it's not about the style of song. It's not about the the music or the beat. It's not about the rhythm. It is about the lyrics. Because anointed worship, if it glorifies and magnifies God, will drive the darkness out of your life every time. That's why it's so important to assemble together in worship, and I'm so thankful for that. So we find that David began to worship the Lord with songs that drove the darkness out of Saul's life. And David continued to fight the battles of the Lord. And all the while, uh, he was experiencing this supernatural power of God, and there was seemingly no enemy that could stand against David. And eventually, however, Saul's heart turned against David for no apparent reason other than envy. Can I tell you, 
from experience. There will be times in this life when people's hearts turn against you for no apparent reason other than envy. And so Saul's heart turned against David. There was no apparent reason other than envy. And that is all of what brings us up to our passage in 1 Samuel. And now we see that Saul's son, Jonathan, in the passage I read to you this morning, says to David, I'm going to go talk to my father. I want you to hide out in the field. If you read prior to what we read, you'll find out. He says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to throw an arrow. And if I say to the young boy that is with me, the arrow is beyond you, that means that you must flee because harm is determined against you. And here is how I see this situation. God was trying to speak to David, but David was only partially listening. The Lord was telling him, I have a plan for your life that will fulfill all the desires that I have placed in your heart. A transition is coming from a system that failed under Saul's leadership to something that will usher in a season of renewal and revival in Israel. And you're going to lead that, David. But until that day comes, somebody say until then. Until that day comes, I'm going to take you through some dark places. Now that's the problem in our lives. None of us like to go through the dark places. But he says, until that day comes, I'm going to take you through the dark places. And David, you must learn to follow me through the mountains, but also through the valleys. Even though, as I preached last weekend, there'll be times that you don't understand it. And that's what I believe to be the deeper meaning behind the phrase, the arrow is beyond you. You see, it's a sign and a reminder from God that his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can read that in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9. And all that God is asking of us is that we follow him whether or not we fully understand what lies ahead. Now nevertheless, there's something inside all of us that wants to be able to figure everything out. Hello. Will anybody get real with me this morning and just say yes? I'd like to be able to figure everything out. We would like to have this virtual roadmap that tells us where we'll be five years from now. We have grown so accustomed to our GPS. I really don't know how our kids would get anywhere without it. Do you? I mean, yeah, they got to have a GPS and a roadmap. I mean, when I grew up, we, we pulled out the outlet. The, the atlas. We pulled out the map and the atlas. And I remember my dad and we'd go on vacation mapping out the route we were going to go. Does anybody else remember that? Yeah. Because if we didn't have that road map, well nowadays we've become so accustomed. You don't even need, when GPS came out in your car, that was the big thing was to get a car with GPS. You don't even need GPS in your car anymore. If you've got a smartphone, you can turn your radio down and turn it up and it'll tell you where to go. And the scarier thing is with all the junk and the garbage that goes on with the smartphones, they always know where you are. They track you. We're so accustomed, though, to it being at our fingertips and knowing the way everything is going to turn out, knowing the way that we go, that we feel like that we've got to know everything that God is doing and He has to provide us with the same convenience and the same roadmap. That He's got to show us exactly why He's doing what He's doing. And He's got to tell us exactly how it's going to turn out. But can I tell you, even if he told you ahead of time, 
you'd never be able to understand it because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts but we want a virtual roadmap that tells us where we'll be five years from now we do not necessarily like God throwing this arrow over our heads into the field and saying to us this is beyond you have you ever faced anything that is beyond you We don't like it when he throws an arrow over our heads and he says, this is beyond you. You didn't see this one coming and you're not exactly sure where it went. So I'm telling you, this one is beyond you, but I'm telling you, just get up and follow where the arrow is leading. Don't question it. Just obey it and do exactly what I'm telling you to do. So David headed out according to the word that was given to him, but somewhere along the way... He fell upon his own human reasoning. In 1 Samuel chapter 27 and verse 1, as David is fleeing to Ziklag, David said to himself, David said to himself, one of these days I'll be swept away by Saul. Now I want you to know something. God had never told David that. He was now listening to his own reasoning. The devil ever, has the devil ever told you, you're not going to get through this one? You're not going to make it through this one. And if you listen to those lies long enough, you'll begin to believe them yourself. And then you'll find yourself in your own human reasoning. And you'll be in a dangerous situation because that's not the way that God works. So David had told himself, one of these days Saul is going to kill you. There's going to be nothing better for me to do, David said, than to escape immediately to the land of the Philistines. Now think about that. Then Saul will give up searching for me everywhere in Israel and I'll escape from him. And so we see David beginning to go off track when he, just as Abraham and just as Saul, started to focus on his own preservation. He was all, all he was concerned about is me. I got to take care of me. Looking out for numero uno. And this sent David on a very difficult and a very strenuous journey to the land of the Philistines. Now think about that. At one time in his life, David was on the other side of the valley facing the Philistines when he defeated Goliath. But now he was standing amongst the enemies of God. He fleed to the place of the enemies of God. And I'm sure that at that point he could not escape the feelings of regret that began to rise up in his heart. What am I doing? How did I get here? Can I tell you this morning that I believe time and time again people that I have known throughout this Christian journey have left the place where they defeated the enemy and they've come into the fold of the family of God but because they got sidetracked by their own human reasoning they eventually left and walked over to the, to the place where the enemies of the Lord are and they find themselves wondering how did I get here? What am I doing back over here? But human pride stops them, prohibits them, prevents them from coming back to the fold of the family of God. And that's exactly what happens when a church begins to focus on ourselves. When we make this all about us. When we uh, try to make sure that we're doing things that, first of all, that we're doing things that enhance our careers. That we're doing things that uh, prosper us. That we're doing things that cause us to have a better future. 
Because you see, whenever we have an inward focus, it leads us to a place. Listen to your pastor this morning. When we have an inward focus, it leads us to the place where we are neither furthering the cause of God, nor are we opposing the advance of the enemy. Did you hear me? Sadly enough, this largely describes the church age that we are currently living in, particularly in America today. Although roughly 25% of the population in this country consider themselves to be evangelical Christians. Realistically, we are not as a movement greatly advancing the cause of God because we certainly are not opposing the advance of the enemy in this generation. We have come to a place of indecision and powerlessness. We've come to a place of wishy-washiness in the church. We've come to a place where we're losing our children and we're losing our families and we're losing the concept of what is right and what is wrong, not just in this nation, but sadly enough also in the house of God. I saw on Facebook this week where a lesbian priest was appointed over an abortion movement. Now think about that. How many oxymorons can you put in one phrase? I know that probably makes some people mad. But there is no lesbian or homosexual that is a called and anointed minister of the Most High God. They don't exist. And then, to say... We're going to support and fund and organize and have a great movement for abortion under the name of ministry. Under the name of Jesus Christ is a shame and a mockery. We have come to the place, not only in this nation, but also in the house of God, where we no longer comprehend and understand the difference between right and wrong. But can I tell you this morning, even though, you and I still have a reason to be encouraged. Because there is always a mercy moment. Thank God for a mercy moment. You see, yes, David left his wholeheartedness of seeking God. He abandoned a life of winning victories and giving glory to the God of Israel. But in this place of indecision and powerlessness where he ended up, something significant happened in David's life. And if you can see this this morning, I believe it will help you understand what we are facing as a church in this backsliding nation. Let's look at 1 Samuel 29, verses 3 through 5. Then the Philistine commanders ask, What are these Hebrews doing here? Achish answered the Philistine commanders, That is David, servant of King Saul of Israel. He has been with me a considerable period of time. From the day he defected until today, I found no fault with him. Can I tell you this morning that it is a tragedy when the enemies of the church of God can find no fault with us. I'm not talking about the church of God as a denomination. I'm talking about when the enemies of the church of the living God can find no fault with the church. It's a sad day. And then verse 4, the Philistine commanders, however, were enraged with Achish, and they told him, send that man back and let him return to the place you assigned him. He must not go down with us into battle only to become our adversary during the battle. What better way could he ingratiate himself with his master than with the heads of our men? Isn't this the David they sing about during their dances? 
Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You see, this was the mercy moment in David's life. And you and I have reached a similar mercy moment, I believe, in our generation. A point when God causes the enemies of His ways to reject the people of God. It is potentially, listen to me, the best thing that can happen to the church in the time that we are living in. You see, for too long we have ridden with the enemy's armies. We have embraced for too long the strategies of a fallen society. And we have for too long allowed corporate secular thinking to dominate the church of Jesus Christ. For too long we have been filling stadiums with people who want to know how much they are loved by God, yet who have no desire to live any differently from the people of this world. We've sought after stadiums full of people, but we're not converting anybody to the cause of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this morning, before I waste my breath and waste my time trying to draw stadiums of people, I'll stand upon the truth of God's Word and I'll preach the truth regardless of whether it fills the house or not. It's a waste of our time to fill stadiums with people who don't want to be any different from the world. And just as Achish spoke well of David for decades, for decades, Society could have testified of Christians today. I don't find any fault with these people. They do what we do. They go where we go. I saw another post on Facebook the other day. Regardless of how you feel about this, please don't come tell me. I'm just going to tell you how I feel. Is that all right? I saw another one the other day on Facebook that said, How do you feel about having a drink with your pastor? And I saw comments that said, I do it all the time. I thought, my God, what in, what in this world has this church came to? Oh, I know it gets quiet. I, God has, must have called me to be one of these edgy people is all I know. I know it gets quiet when I say some of these things. But listen, that's what the world is saying, folks. That's why we're not winning this lost and dying generation in the day that we live. Because they're looking at us and they're saying, they do what we do. They go where we go. And they're even standing on the same side of the battle that we're on right now. I also, listen, I'm going to have to get off of Facebook. This week I also saw, thank God I didn't see it here. I asked Angie, I said, did you see any of our people going at each other over this election? And she said, no. I said, well, good, because I'm afraid they're going to have World War III in this church down the road. Have you seen what they said? Right in the house of God, arguing against each other about things there should be no argument about. Things that are clearly defined in the Word of God. But yet they're saying we're on the, we're not afraid we're not offended by them they're on the same side of this battle that we are. Come on. What's different about them? What makes us want to go to the house of God when they stand for the same things we stand for? Right. When they go the same places we go. Right. When they do the same things we do. But I want to tell you we are living right now in a moment when I believe the mercy of God it's going to cause society to spit the true church of Jesus Christ right out of their mouth. I thank God that right now our society is declaring, and you're going to think I've lost my mind when I say this. I'm thankful 
that some are declaring in our society today away with Christ. Away with Christians. Away with churches. Away with the tax-exempt status. Away with all of it. I'm thankful that there are people crying out. You know why? Because finally, God's people are being forced out of the enemy's territory, just as David was, and they're going to have to decide whose side they're really on in this thing. Oh, I believe we got too many that say, I'm a Christian. I'm on the Lord's side, but yet they stand for everything that is against, everything that is clearly defined in the Word of God, and they want to do it under the name of Jesus. Christ. I'm glad there's finally some people that are raising up and saying do away with those true Christians. Put them. Don't let them say that. Don't let them do that. Take away their exempt status because that's forcing us, the church, out of the enemy's territory where we shouldn't have been hanging out to begin with. We've compromised so much and it's gone on for so long that we've come to the place that we either take a stand and be rejected or we deliberately go against everything that we know this book says to be true. Come on. Here I go. True. I'm going to close my eyes. <laughs> when it comes to abortion, we must choose life. Yeah. There is no other alternative. When it comes to marriage, we must stand on God's Word that declares a man, how many knows what a man is? Shall leave his mother and a woman, how many knows what a woman is? Shall leave her home, a man and a woman. There is no other alternative. Hello. When it comes to what is defined by the Word of God, we have no choice except to go by God's definition. There is no other alternative. So we find that David is rejected by the Philistines. By the enemies of God. He's rejected and spit out. David and the other Israelites who were with him, they returned to Ziklag. But this time when they did, they returned to find that the Amalekites had burned everything to the ground. They had taken their women and their children. And when David saw how much he had surrendered to the enemy, in his heart, he must have initially thought, look what I have done. I am supposed to be leading these men, but I have allowed their families to be brought into captivity. But nevertheless, David did not allow himself to be overcome with discouragement and with shame. Instead, he did something that ultimately restored his strength. David returned back to prayer and seeking the face of God. First yes. Samuel chapter 30, verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar, Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. See, the ephod was the garment of prayer for seeking God. That's what the ephod was. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. See, I think that David must have suddenly remembered the moment when he was singled out among his brothers to be the king over Israel. Or maybe he recalled that moment when the bear and the lion came into the flock 
and the Spirit of God came upon him and endowed him with supernatural strength and supernatural power. Or maybe David remembered the indignation rising up within his heart as God's name was being defied and he fearlessly ran into that valley to fight Goliath. Maybe that's what he remembered. So David turned to Abithar and said, Bring me the ephod. Bring me the garment of prayer. Bring me that which used to govern my life. And as David began to pray, God began to speak. Can I tell you this morning that if the church would begin to pray, oh hallelujah, God would begin to speak. In 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, who's he? God answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. You see at that time David had 600 men with him. But 200 of them were so weak that they couldn't even get across the brook to enter into the battle. However, it did not matter how great the odds were against them because David was back in the place of knowing where his source and his strength was coming from. David was back in the place of, of knowing where his help comes from. And he finally acknowledged what he should have understood from the beginning. David, this is beyond you. This arrow is beyond you. The leading of God was not something he could reason or, or figure out. And even in the face of what looked like personal danger, if David would simply follow the Lord rather than trying to take things into his own hands, God would continue to guide him one step at a time. Can I tell you this morning that that is what we too must do in our generation. Oh God, help me preach this morning. We need to get back to the source of our strength. I said we need to get back to the source of our strength. Back to the prayer closet where we can hear from God again because the first thing that happens when you and I begin to pray is that a promise from God will come into our hearts one that is deeper and farther than anything we could ever hope to take possession of in our own ability and the Lord takes us through places oh I feel my help this morning when we get in the prayer closet God will take us through places that we can't make it through on our own you see we are so guilty of when we're going through it, even myself included. Sometimes we want to talk to somebody else about it before we ever consult God about it. I've been guilty of picking up the phone and calling my wife and saying, what do you think about this? Or did you see this? Or what do you think about that? When really what we need to do where we're missing it is if we get back to our place of prayer, if we get back to our prayer closet, if we begin to talk to God, God God would begin to talk to us and when God begins to talk to you God will fight the battle God will bring you out and God will restore everything that the enemy has stolen from you he said without fail you shall recover all the Lord takes us through places we can't go through on our own places where we gotta let go of what we think is gonna preserve us and simply follow where he leads. And David and his men approached the Amalekite armies. And I want you to listen to how they found them. After 
David went to the place of prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 16. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And see, I believe similarly you and I are living in a time when the enemies of God are rejoicing. When they're drinking and dancing in their supposed triumph. When the enemies of God are saying, we've invaded their sanctuaries. We've taken the house of God into our possession. Godlessness will be the future for this country. There's very little hope that they will ever rebound and survive. And so the enemy is celebrating. The devil is celebrating. Oh, I recall another time when hell threw a party. They put Jesus on the cross. And they sat back and they said, we got him this time. He can't escape this time. And they beat him and they mocked him and then they laid him back and they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet to an old rugged cross and then they stood him upright till all of the blood flowed out of his body as he gave his life so that you and I could have life eternal and then they placed his took his body down from that cross and they wrapped it up and they put it in a tomb and hell threw a party for three days hell had a big old time as they say oh we've taken care of him now we've shut him up now I believe sometimes hell throws a party when the church is compromising with the world when the church is allowing the things that go strictly against the word of God to come in and to infiltrate in the church I believe that hell throws a party when the people of God fight and bicker against one another I believe hell throws a party when people get offended and they leave the church and they say I'm not going back I believe hell throws a party every time an addict takes another hit I believe hell throws a party every time a home and a marriage is broken up and destroyed oh but can I tell you something this morning if you'll hold on to God while you're in the dark places if you'll trust his word while you're in the tomb they'll come day three for weeping shall only last for a night but joy comes in the morning there will be a day when the party's over and so at this time we see that supernatural strength was granted to David and the scriptures tell us in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 17. Listen what happened when the party was over. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Amazing, isn't it? Although David and his men were already worn out upon entering this battle. Anybody ever feel worn out? Before they entered this battle against perhaps tens of thousands of warriors, God gave them strength to pursue and persevere. 
And it is that incredible ability that God still grants to His people when all hell appears to have the upper hand. The Amalekites thought that they had swallowed up the testimony of God, which might have been the case had one man not chosen to go back into his prayer closet. If you'll stand with me all over the house this morning and if they'll come to the music. I want you to consider that. Think about that for a moment. The Amalekites thought they had swallowed up the testimony of God. And that might have been the case. Had one man not decided to go back to the prayer closet. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 19. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken from them. David recovered came to tell somebody this morning if you'll go back to your prayer closet God said you shall recover all even when it seems like it's beyond you go back to your prayer closet because all is not lost I said all is not lost No matter what the devil is telling us. No matter what the news reports are saying. No matter what the doctor's report may say. No matter what the finances may look like. No matter what we see with our natural eyes, all is not lost. That's why it's imperative now for you and I to forsake our own human reasoning. And get back to the place where God speak to us to get back to the place of prayer to get back to the prayer closet I've been there this week some of them came before staff meeting on Tuesday night to meet with me but they didn't get to meet with me because when they entered the building I was still right over here in this corner in a place of prayer right up until time for staff meeting to start Some came Wednesday night thinking they were going to catch me before service. Came early before they had to do their respective things and get to the different places. And on Wednesday night, they found me right there. And after church, they said, I didn't bother you because you were praying when I came in. Thursday night, I was home all by myself. Student ministry team and my wife and my children were working up at the Civic Center. And I was at home by myself. And I got in my prayer closet. I think I'm about to convert my little dog to a Pentecostal. He used to get scared of me, but now he just gets right down beside me. He just stays right next to me while I cry and seek the face of the Lord. Can I tell you? The devil's a liar. Whatever he's speaking to you, he's a liar. And if we'll get back to our place of prayer, Remember, although it may be beyond us, 
it's never beyond the ability of our God. As Jonathan said, the arrow's beyond you, isn't it? Go after it. Hurry up and don't stop. In other words, the plan of God is far beyond you, but just get up. Follow after it. You don't have to figure it all out. All that God is asking of you is for you to come back to the place of prayer and watch as He does the miraculous. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, I'm not even going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you those that will as they sing this morning, find a place in this altar and let let your finding a place in this altar be a testimony. Don't worry about anybody else thinking, really everybody in this building, I'm not listening to your reasoning any longer. I'm going to see what God has to say about it. I ought to be able to find a place up here this morning, but don't worry about what somebody else may think. Be more concerned about it being a testimony to the devil. I'm going back to the place of prayer.